0: It's good to hear God's word read to us. That's our encouragement. I am very much appreciated the thoughts conveyed by the praise team this morning. Thank you for the reminders that we can have real peace in our hearts in the midst of the chaos of this world. God has rescued us because of his great love that has come down. And in fact, death itself was put to death so that we can have life. What great reminders as we... Uh, turn ourselves to God's Word this morning. Uh, what I'd like to do, uh, just center ourselves a bit in prayer as we come to God's Word this morning. So let's pray again, please. Dear Lord, we come to you this morning before what is before what is one of the greatest privileges we have in this world, and that is to hear from you through your Word. I ask that you would please open our eyes to see new things about you. Open our hearts to receive them completely and change our lives by what we hear today. And I ask that you would open my mouth to speak truthfully of your great treasures that are contained in this passage we are looking at today. In Jesus' name, amen. We've seen in Acts 1 where Jesus lays out for his disciples the next steps in his plan to rescue people from every tribe, language, people, and nation, starting in Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, to the Gentiles. Then in Acts 2, we see how the Holy Spirit comes in power, and through the message of the gospel that is preached on that day, 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And then last week we looked that God takes that new community of people that he has brought together and They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. As I was reflecting on this before we dig in, I think it's important to remind us that what we're reading actually happened. This is history. What we're reading is not historical fiction. It's not a novel. The events and people and places are real, and the names have not been changed, And we see in Acts 3 some things, as I prayed, that are some real treasures here that I hope we can understand in new ways and see our God in some new ways. So the first thing we're going to look at uh, is verses 1 to 10, where a lame man is healed. A lame man is healed. The Spirit arranges a meeting between Peter and John and a lame man to bring another opportunity for God to confirm the apostles' teaching. What a coincidence. Peter and John were going to the temple in verse 1. And in verse 2, a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple, called the beautiful gate. So th- their paths cross. What a coincidence, right? And uh, someone has defined coincidence. I love this definition. Coincidence is, coincidence is when God chooses to remain anonymous. Coincidence is when God chooses to remain anonymous. So Peter and John come across this lame man who asked them for a handout. Have you ever been in that situation? You're walking down the street, right? Well, if you're like me and never sure quite what to do with that, I don't do what Peter and John do. It says that they looked at him. They engaged him. They looked at his eyes and he looked at them expecting to receive something from them. Because, right, that's why you don't look at somebody. Because if you look at them, you think they're, they're expecting you're going to receive something from you. And how many times have I looked at somebody and they've come towards me expecting something? So I don't look at them. I'm sorry. I confess. And Peter says to him, well, I don't have silver or gold. I don't have any coins. I don't have any money with me. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I say to you, rise up and walk. He takes him by the right hand, raises him up. And I love, Luke's a doctor, right? So he goes right to, and his feet and his ankles were strengthened. We know where his de- deformity was. It was in his feet and his ankles. They were made strong, and it was immediate. Immediately, his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, it says, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Imagine the scene now. So this man has been carried. I don't know if he was carried on a stretcher or friends were just carrying him or in a chair. I don't know. But he was being carried. And all of a sudden, not only is he walking in the temple, he's leaping in the temple. Now, you ever, if, if somebody comes walking into the church and they were leaping, what would you think? There's something wrong with this person. Uh, But the one analogy that comes to my mind is a little child who gets a new pair of sneakers. Have you ever seen that? I I did it myself when I was little. What do they do? They put on their sneakers, and what do they do? Look how fast I can run. Well, the sneakers didn't do anything for that, right? But they get this new pair of sneakers, and they want to show everybody now how fast they can run. This man was so beyond himself about what had just happened to him that he can't just walk into the temple. He has to say, look at me, look what I can do. I haven't been able to do this since I was born. Look what I'm doing. And he's praising God. He's saying, God, thank you for what you have done for me. Let's make some observations about this. The apostles... This is another one of those wonders and signs we've talked about. We talked about that last week. These wonders and signs, and you're going to see it throughout the book of Acts. Wonders and signs. A miracle whose purpose is to confirm the truth of the apostles' words and to give them an audience. To get people to realize there is a message here with power that we need to listen to. What about the man? We don't know the man's name. He's unnamed here. God does not give us his name. Luke does not give us his name. This man is not unimportant. He's obviously very important to God, but he is incidental to what God is doing. He's not unimportant, but he's incidental to what God is doing. God chose to keep him anonymous. We find out over in chapter 4 that he's over 40 years old, and we find here that he's been lame from birth. His problem was obvious, it was severe. And it was lifelong. And here he is, walking and leaping and praising God. And what about the people? The people around, the general people, recognized who this man was. They recognized him as the man who has been at the, the temple gate begging for alms for these many years for these and we don't know when he started begging, but he's over 40, so it's been for quite a long time. And they were amazed and dumbfounded about what happened to him. Uh, Those words convey the idea their feet were glued to the floor. I mean, they just did not know what to say or what to do. And so a crowd gathers to see what's going on. So in these first 10 verses, we see that this lame man is healed. Well, in verses 11 to 16, Peter lays out the facts of what just happened. And he lays it out in terms of speaking of three people. He talks of he or him, that is God. He talks about you, the general people. And then he talks about us, we, the apostles. And he starts off by saying about God, the God of Abraham in verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. He's talking about this God who called them into covenant relationship with himself, who called them out of slavery, out of bondage, into relationship with himself and expressed his desire to live with them and dwell with them. And Peter says that this God, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus. He glorified Jesus. He affirmed who Jesus was. He lifted him up. He made him great. He allowed him to manifest the glory of God in your midst he glorified his servant Jesus but he says there if you look in verse at the end of verse 13 whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of pilate you you delivered Jesus to the authorities you denied the holy and righteous one when Jesus was before pilate you said we have no king but Caesar. You asked for an unholy and unrighteous murderer to be granted you instead of Jesus when Pilate offered to release him. You asked for Barabbas. And in a great irony, you killed the author of life. You took the life of the one who is the source of life. God glorified his servant Jesus, But you delivered, you denied, you asked for a murderer, and you killed the author of life. But if we get down now again to verse 15, God comes back into the picture because God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead. And then Peter addresses themselves, the apostles. First of all, he says in verse 12, Why are you looking at us as if we have some power or piety in ourselves to have done this? We have no special power. We're we're very common, just like you are. We have no special piety. We're not more religious than you are. We are common men, just like you, with no unusual power or extra holiness. What we are, in verse 15, he says... We are witnesses. We are witnesses. That's all we are. We saw Jesus. We saw his life. We saw his death on the cross. And we saw him after his resurrection. We are witnesses of these things. And now it is our faith in Jesus, he says in verse 16. It's his name, by faith in his name, which has made this man strong, whom you see and know And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. says, it's not us. We have no special power, no special religiousness. We're not closer to God than you are. All we are are witnesses of what Jesus has done, who he is, what he's done, and the fact that he is raised from the dead. And we are bearing witness to that fact to you. And we have put our faith in him. And because of that, faith we've placed in him God has used us to raise this man to bring this message to you well now in verses 17 to 26 Peter makes an appeal so we see a lame man is healed we see now Peter lays out the facts of what happened God presented Jesus to you he glorified him you delivered him denied him asked for a murderer and killed him but God raised him from the dead And now Peter goes in to make an appeal based on that. And in verse 17, he says, I know, brothers, that you acted in ignorance. You acted in ignorance. You had no idea of what you were doing. You did not really know that this was God himself, God in the flesh. You did not know who this was. I know you acted in ignorance. But God, and I love that when he says in verse 18, but what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets... Right? You meant this, but God meant something very different. You meant to get rid of someone that you thought was a troublemaker, but God used your ignorance, your rejection, your denial, your desire to kill Jesus to fulfill the plan that he had been telling for centuries, as had been told by the prophets. Peter references Moses. Moses was highly regarded by the Jewish nation because he was the giver of the law to them. He is the one through whom God gave the law. Moses prophesied that the Christ would come, that there would be a prophet coming like me someday whom God would hold you accountable to whether you listen to him or not. And then he says, From Samuel onward and all the prophets who came after him spoke of this day that was coming. As a matter of fact, you have, if you go clear back to Abraham, Peter says, and that's down in the verses 25, if you go back to Abraham, who is the founder of the Jewish nation because our God is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, if you go back to Abraham, God preached this gospel to Abraham saying, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Peter is saying this one that you rejected, this servant of God whom he glorified and whom you killed, is actually the fulfillment of God's plan over the centuries to rescue people to himself, to bring people to himself out of our sin. He sent Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, to you to die for your sins and then raised him from the dead. And then Peter says he did this, if you look in verse 19, He says that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing would come from the presence of God until the time comes that Jesus returns to restore all things. God sent Jesus so that your sins could be blotted out, that times of refreshing would come from the presence of God until the time comes when Jesus returns to restore all things. And what is their part in all of this? He says in verse 19, Repent, therefore, and turn back. Repent, therefore, and turn back. What is the result? Well, we see next week in chapter 4, verse 4, that many who heard the word believed. Many who heard this word believed. With 2,000 people added to the community of believers as a result of this day. Now, we're going to come back to these verses 19 to 21 in a couple moments, because I, wanted, I believe that this is where there's some additional hidden treasures for us to see. But first, I want to take a short detour regarding the physical healing mentioned in this passage. The book of Acts, as you're studying through, it presents a lot of dilemmas for us, a lot of questions, a lot of things that we can wrestle with is just what does that mean and what was just for then and what can we bring into into our lives today. And this idea of physical healing is one of those things that becomes problematic for us as believers. And I'd like to offer a perspective on that while we're here. We are tempted to use passages like this as proof that God will heal all our physical diseases, all our defects and our injuries in this life, especially if we have enough faith. Well, there's a few things to notice here. It was very likely that this man was not the only physically broken person at the temple that day, but he was the only one who was healed that day. And notice that this man's healing was not dependent on him having faith. This was a sovereign work of God through the hands of the apostles, whose purpose was to confirm the truthfulness of the apostles' message, the wonders and signs that we have been talking about, in order that the people would listen to this message of truth about Jesus. Now, God does guarantee to forgive our sins and to send his spirit to us when we put our trust in him. But for reasons that only God knows, he will not physically heal everyone in this life, as we see as we look at the testimony of the scriptures. And Luke himself gives us an illustration of this, which I was reflecting on this, and I said, oh my, look at this. The scripture tells us that this man was a little over 40 years old. Jesus was 33 when he died. We know that Jesus was in the temple when he was at age 12. Now, he may have been at other times in the temple, but we know from Luke that Jesus was at the temple at age 12. This man would have been at least 19 at that time and probably already begging at the temple. When Jesus started his ministry 18 years later, he spent many times in the temple. It is extremely likely that their paths crossed in the temple. It is extremely likely that as Jesus was walking by, he looked at this man who had been lame from birth. And with compassion in his heart, saying, Son, just hold on. You have no idea what I'm going to be doing for you in just a short time. But you must wait. I'm having trouble not crying right now when you think of that. When you think of God's love and his sovereignty. He knows our frame. He knows our brokenness. And we cry out, God, why? How long? What was this man saying? God, can you heal me? Can you do something? And he had no idea that the plan that God had for him at these moments that Jesus passed him in the temple. But Jesus knew. And I can just, as I say, I can hear Jesus' heart of compassion saying, Son, Just hold on. You have no idea what I have planned for you, but you must wait. God has indeed promised to heal all of our diseases. He just has not given us the timing. It may be now, but it will be for sure and forever when he comes back. Trusting God in these things doesn't mean that if I have enough faith, he'll heal me. No, trusting God means allowing him to choose the what, the when, the where, and the how. There were other people in the temple this day that did not receive healing. God had chosen not to heal them that day. But if they had faith in him, they were going to be healed someday. And Jesus had walked by this man many times without ever healing him because he knew what his plan was for this moment at this time and his purposes for his life. We could say much more about this idea of physical healing and where is God in the midst of our brokenness and our illness, but this will have to do for now. But I want us to understand that this man's healing, in a sense, is a promise. It's a down payment of the healing that to come for all of those who put their faith in Jesus. This man was healed, but he eventually died. He didn't live forever because of this. He needed much more than just that physical healing, but God used that physical healing not just for him, but for us, so that we can see who this God is that we serve. Well, let's go back to 19 to 21 to bring this home for us today. This is one passage in the Bible, if you're looking for passages in the Bible that sort of contain the entire gospel. Now, nothing contains the entire gospel, but the core of it is here. These verses, 19, 20, and 21. This is one of those passages that contains an overview of the whole gospel. The the gospel of Jesus Christ who has come to save us, to rescue us. But before we dig into this, we have to ask the question to make sure we're clear Why do we need to be rescued? Why do we need to be saved in the first place? Well, it's because God created us and desires relationship with us. And as creator, God has the right to tell us how to live. He has the right to tell us what is consistent with a healthy, God-fearing life and what is contrary to that. And so we... The created ones pridefully look God in the eye, the creator, and say, No, I do not want to follow your ways. I will live my life the way I want to. Just like we see of Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis 3. Because we've turned away from God, we experience the darkness of sin and death with its consequences. We see the presence of sin everywhere. It's within, it's without, it's affecting the everything in creation, the presence of sin. We cannot escape the presence of sin, whether it's within us or outside of us. Not only that, the power of sin has enslaved us. We are sinners by nature. We have no choice but to sin because that's who we are by nature. We can try as hard as we want to, and we're going to sin. And we have earned. The penalty of sin, which God says is death. And ultimately, death is to be understood as the eternal separation from God. Eternal separation from God. See, sin looks God in the eye and says, no, I'm going to live life my way, separate from you. And God says, the, the consequences of that then is eternal separation from me. That separation that you want now will continue on through eternity. Well, in Acts 3, 19 to 21, we see how God answers the problem of sin in its totality. Peter says, first of all, he says, repent therefore and turn back. Repent therefore. What do you mean therefore? Well, because of who Jesus is, because of what he has done, because of his life, death, and resurrection, because God sent him as the Savior, therefore, you are to repent. Repent means to change your mind. You are to change your mind. Instead of pridefully looking at God and saying no, we now humbly look God in the eye and say that leaving Him was a really bad idea. That independence from God was a really bad idea. We change our mind about our life. We change our mind about what we are depending upon. We change our life about where we are headed and what our goals and agree that God's ways are better than our ways. We repent. And not only are we called to repent, but we're called to turn back. We're called to turn around and turn back towards the God who made us, the God who loves us, and the God who wants to live with us forever. We are to change our mind about living life for ourselves and turn back to the God who loved us. All that we are pursuing now that is not of God will ultimately come up empty. Anything that we are pursuing now that is not of God will ultimately come up empty. And Peter says we need to return or repent and turn back. And God's desire is to dwell with us and that we dwell with him, and he has done everything necessary. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.15, Jesus died, quote, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Jesus died that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, who for their sake died and was raised. That's why Peter says we are to repent and turn back. And as we're going to see, this should be a continual process in our lives. So what are the results of this? What are the results of this repent and turn back? Well, the first result that Peter says, if you look in verse 19, he says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out that your sins may be blotted out, that your sins may be wiped away, that your sins may be caused to cease. The gospel deals with the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin is death. The penalty of sin is this separation from God. And it's our sins that create that. And Peter says that the gospel of Jesus Christ blots out our sins. Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead was in your place and on your behalf. He took your sins on himself and died the death that you deserve to die because of your rebellion against God so that your sins could be blotted out, so your sins could be obliterated. If you have trusted in Jesus' death and resurrection, for the forgiveness of your sins, please be assured that the eternal consequences of your sin have been obliterated forever. Being saved from the penalty of our sin becomes part of our past. If you are one of those who has never repented and turned back to God for the penalty of your sins, I would say what better time than now to do that. God loves you, he died for you, he was raised for you so that you would no longer live for yourself but for him who died and was raised on your behalf. So the gospel deals with the penalty of sin. But the gospel also deals with the power of sin in our lives. When we believe in Jesus for the penalty of our sins, he does not instantly remove our sinful desires and the susceptibilities that we have to temptation And we find, I assume that you're like me, we find that we labor in this world against our own inward sin. And as we labor against that, we we know there are things that we think and do and say that are not right, that are not pleasing to God, and we desire to put them off. We become weary, we become worn, we become discouraged. And what does Peter say? Back to verse 19. He says, repent therefore and turn back, One, that your sins may be blotted out. That's our penalty of sin. But then he says that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. God gives a beautiful treasure to us believers in this battle against sin. He says that times of refreshing will come from his presence. What we need in the midst of this battle against the power of sin in our lives is not better works or better ideas or better techniques. God says, no, you need me. God gives us himself, his presence. As I was reflecting on this message, an illustration, it wasn't hard to come to me because it lives with me, But it was in the late 1980s, early 1990s, Laurel and I were moving to another house with our family, and it was the last time (laughs) that I moved myself, that I didn't pay someone else to move me, I believe it was the last time. And you know what moving is like, right? For weeks before, you're packing. And then the day before, and I had to line up friends to help me. And the days before, you're packing, getting boxes, and trying to get things organized, and get the truck, and get it loaded. And we started early in the morning. And there is so much to do when you move. And at the end of the day, I don't remember. It must have been around 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, somewhere around there. Everybody had put in their time for the day. They had been good troopers and helped us get things unloaded and into the house. And I walk out on the front porch of the house and I told God I didn't have another ounce of strength to take one more step and we didn't even have the bed set up yet for us to be able to sleep that night. I was finished. And as I'm standing there just empty, because I had nothing left, a car pulls into the front of the house, and out of the car is a friend, Greg Brainerd. He had been working that day and couldn't help, but he stopped by to see what he could do to help. So at that very moment of my greatest need and my greatest emptiness, Greg gave me himself. He showed up. And his presence, just his presence, was all I needed to have a revival of my hope. Say, okay, God thank you, we can do this. So he put the beds together (laughs) as I did other things But with a renewed energy, time of refreshing had come from the Lord. I was struggling against, in this case, not sin, but against the things of having to get this household put back together again. I was struggling, and this was a real analogy, that God sent times of refreshing from his presence. But it's the same thing with our lives as we struggle against sin. We will often need, whether you have been a believer for five minutes or five decades, we will often need to repent and turn back toward God because we try to find refreshment in all kinds of other places, right? We try to find refreshment in relationships, in food, in activities, in hobbies, in vacations, and you name it. We can make a whole list of places that when we're struggling, we try to find refreshment. And these, many of these, well, all the ones I mentioned, are good things. But those good things become bad things when they become things that replace God. When we look to find refreshment in those things instead of finding refreshment in the presence of God, in his person, God offers us himself. And this repent and turn back is not a one-time thing. It's an all-of-life thing as we grow in our relationship with him. God gradually breaks the power of sin in our lives as we are refreshed by his presence. Because of his presence in our lives, we learn to put off sin and put on new ways of thinking and living. Going back to chapter 2, verse 42, we looked at what are some of those ways that he draws us into his presence? He draws us into his presence as we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. Those are the places that we are reminded of God's presence, that we can encourage one another of who God is and point one another when we're discouraged and struggling to look to Jesus because he is the one who can give us those times of refreshing. So the gospel deals with the penalty of sin, that our sins are blotted out. It deals with the power of sin as God sends those times of refreshing from his presence. But it also deals with the presence of sin. Peter says in verse 19 again, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And then in verse 21, Whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets. Until the time for restoring all things. There's a time coming when the brokenness of this world, our own physical brokenness, brokenness, our emotional brokenness, our spiritual brokenness, the injustices of this world, everything that is wrong with this world, God is going to restore. He's going to put it back to where it should be and where it should have been all along. That's a time in the future, but it is coming. And so we can live with hope We can live with hope that it's not always going to be like this. That as we struggle, this time of restoration is going to come. Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4, talks about this restoration to come with a beautiful picture. John says this, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people and God will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The message of this lame man for us today is that God has so much more for us than physical healing. By giving us himself, God offers us what this man and what all of us need. Freedom from the penalty of sin. Freedom from the power of sin. And freedom from the presence of sin. Starting today and into eternity. God has saved us from the penalty of sin. He is saving us from the power of sin. And one day will save us from the presence of sin. And so I'd like to close our time this morning with reading these verses again, verses 19 to 21, hoping that you can catch a fresh glimpse of what it is that God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And God's call to us to live a life of repentance and turning back to him when we find our gaze turning away from him and turning to things that will just never ultimately deliver or satisfy. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Amen. Let's close this time in prayer. Dear Lord, I want to thank you for this reminder today of all that you have done for us. Help us to be quick to repent and turn back to you And I ask if there is someone here today who has never received the forgiveness for the penalty of their sin, that they would do so even now. As they ask your forgiveness for seeking to live their own life apart from you, may they recognize that Jesus died and rose for them, that they would no longer live for themselves, but for you. And I pray for those of us who have trusted you, For saving us from the penalty of our sin. May we live a life of repenting of the many ways we try to find refreshment outside of you. May we turn back to you as you remind us of your presence and the refreshment that comes from you alone. May we grow ever deeper in our knowledge of you and our love for you as you break the power of sin in our lives. And Father, I pray that we may live confidently with the sure hope that one day we will be finally and completely saved from the very presence of sin, what a glorious, glorious day that will be. And with that hope we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. So in Jesus' name, we declare our love for you. We declare our desire to know you more. We declare our desire to live in hope of your presence in our lives now and our hope for eternal life with you when you restore all things. And it's in his name we pray, amen.